I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And welcome to the Doctor Who Show, our hot take on Doctor Who Series 12, Episode 8, The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Yes, here we are, Dave. But before we start on that, I want to go back to last week in a timey-wimey sort of way. You have been uh, engaging a lot on this episode, I've found, Rob. For, for an episode you didn't uh, enjoy all that much, you've... Um... I've noticed you've given this a lot of attention on social media, so there's something you need to get off your chest, I suspect. There, There is, and last week, and I'll be very brief, last week you and I, Dave, had a discussion about the way the Doctor reacted to Graham, and in fandom across the past week, so many fans blew up about it. The BBC issued a statement, uh, I don't know who it's from, whether Chris Chibnall wrote this or someone else, but it says, we never set out to upset our viewers with what we show, and this episode tackled some sensitive themes. When Graham opened up to the Doctor about his fear of his cancer returning, her response was never meant to be dismissive. The Doctor's friend was scared, and we see her struggling to deal with the severity of the situation. And I think, all well and good, Dave, but I still don't think the Doctor should have been used in that situation. Some people liked it, others said, oh yeah, I understood what that was all about, but it really did confuse some. It really pissed some people off. And I think the BBC putting out a statement is testament to how many you know people were up in arms about it. Yeah, that is quite extraordinary. I actually hadn't heard that. And look, absolutely, there's been a huge debate. Every review that I've heard has mentioned it. There's been discussions on, on Twitter. I still maintain my view that I wasn't personally upset by it because I understood what they were going for, but totally see how it could have felt that way to others. And, and yeah, yeah, that's 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 quite interesting. Mm, and just super briefly, Gary and Adam over on the Big Blue Box podcast had a lot of feedback on it, and Gary detected that people who had had mental health issues were the ones who were more upset about it. I think they want the doctor to be comforting and so on, and maybe have a companion be the figure that they identify with. Have the companion be the one who doesn't have the words. They want the doctor to be solid. And, and look, I might just give my two seconds of extra thought on it as well, since we are discussing it. And I wonder if perhaps the fact that Jodie's Doctor hasn't been as well defined as some previous Doctors, mm. perhaps that meant that people didn't know what to expect from her and weren't ready for it. And so that's perhaps a uh, another thing to factor in. It, it has been a big deal, Rob. I teased you at the start, but you're not the only <laughs> one who's been in, engaged by this and energised by this. But... We are here to discuss the haunting of Villa Diodati. Rob, are you engaged and energised by tonight's episode? I certainly am. The Haunting of Villa Diodati by Maxine Alderton. No Chris Chibnall this week on the writing credit, Dave. Uh, Overall, I love this. It's a period house. It's lit by candle. There's spooky stuff going on. This is home turf for BBC drama. If they stuff this up, they may as well have just packed up and gone home. But of course, they didn't stuff it up. This is what they do best. It was fun. And did I mention my favourite adversary was in it? I was like a fat kid on cake with this one, Dave. Well, this is very positive. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I liked it. There was a lot that I loved. There was some stuff I only liked. It was good. I enjoyed it. I, I wasn't looking at my watch or anything like that. Uh, there were a few things that dragged it down for me uh, a little bit, and I think that's a shame because, yeah, it was one of the better episodes. But I don't think I loved it quite as much as you, Rob, so I'll let you kick off. 
Well, okay. Look, there, I think there's so much to unpack here, Dave. I mean, firstly, my call at the end of our last episode was right. This was our lone Cyberman episode. It was a kind of a no-brainer that it would be, but right up till transmission, people were still chucking around the idea, oh, it might be, it might not be. I'm, I'm like, of course it is, people. We've, we've got loads of Cybermen in the final episodes. This is our lone Cyberman episode. So speaking of that lone Cyberman, design-wise, I thought it looked fantastic. I only had one issue with it. I didn't want to see his face. I wanted to see maybe a little of it. I wanted to see that there was a face underneath, but I thought they showed too much face, Dave. Or if they wanted to show that much face, let it be withered or rotting and ragged, you know? Uh, That was my only issue with the look of this Cyberman. I'll pause there. Yeah, that's perhaps a good example of why this didn't quite land perfectly for me. Uh, part, Part of it is this episode I was unquestionably spoiled by. I certainly saw the strong speculation that the lone Cyberman or a Cyberman of some sort would Mm. be in this but I actually had that confirmed uh, on Twitter I I woke up I checked Twitter for some news and uh, without even remembering the doctor who was on this morning at you know 6 a.m yeah Yeah. and um and look I saw a couple of references to the Cyberman I thought oh okay so part of me as much as I tried to put it out of the mind was sitting there sort of waiting okay I know this is going to be a Cyberman okay where's the Cyberman and then once it turned up, look, I think the design was good. It was a very interesting concept. And in some ways, perhaps, the way I watched it was too much head and not enough heart. Okay. In that I was sitting there going, this is very weird. What's that about? How does that work? Why is he, why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? Why is he saying this? And, and I actually kind of got so caught up in the head that I kind of forgot to just go, hey, this is really cool, which is mm. my fault. Mm. Yeah, well, look, uh, I guess there you might be talking about, I'm not sure because we don't confer before these things, are you talking about this Cyberman still having some emotions, for example? Yeah, well, basically being a human in a cyber costume, complete with emotions, uh, human intonation in the way that he spoke. Uh, this this was basically, to me, a human in armour. It didn't feel like a Cyberman at all. Mm. Look, whereas for me, it took me back to how Cybermen were in the 70s and 80s. You know, we were told they were emotionless, yet they, they're having emotions all the time. I mean, the cyber leader saying, excellent, if that's not an expression of excitement, I don't know what is. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not knocking what you're saying, Rob, but I'm going to push back a bit okay. and say that even the occasional excellent or, or, or the like isn't the same as being chatty and screaming in pain or just desperation or being, I don't know, being, being overtly human. It was really cool. Like, I don't want the audience to get the wrong impression. It was a really cool idea. I just mm. didn't think it was very cyberman And as I say, my sort of wondering, how does this work? What, what's going on? Not that I was dissing it. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. I was just sort of like, this is, this is really weird and different. And I wonder how the pieces are going to fix going to fit together and by the time I'd sort of finished that conversation with myself I'd, I'd forgotten to just go wow mm. and yeah that, that's that's really the fault of myself not the episode okay well in terms of his storyline I think I followed it pretty well the Siberium was basically all cyber knowledge I guess and the lone Cyberman's coming from a place where it's just him left and he's going to grab this knowledge I guess to rebuild their race am, am I getting that right at least uh, definitely the first part uh, was he the last of his race? I didn't pick that up, but it's very possible I missed it. 
That's what I've been taking from this lone Cyberman business, that the, the, the Empire's been smashed and maybe there's just one beat-up one left. That That's the way I've been reading this story. I could be completely wrong, of course. Yeah, I was reading it as he's the lone one in that he's the lone one on the mission. Right. I take it to be, after Jack saying, you know, that they had an Empire and it's been defeated, I took that to be this, this is the last guy left, last guy standing. No, I took it much more as kind of... Um betray you in the never-ending story like the one who's chosen to go off and complete the mission to save the rest of them so yeah completely different interpretations which is interesting interesting i didn't really understand at the end jody taking on the the siberium taking it into her system and and making such a big fuss about it like oh it's chose me and it's it's it loves me as a host blah 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 only to hand it back almost right away even though she shouldn't be doing that i i found that quite weird and confusing on my first watch yeah, so again, uh, there was a really good moment where Jodie kind of had her do I have the right moment in, in terms of the, or, or dare I say, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, which is a very important and difficult philosophical and moral debate. Mm. And that moment happened. We then sort of got that moment continuing for about five or six minutes, <laughs> including the, the, the diversion of it going into Jodie. Now, again... I wonder if when we come back and look back at the series, we'll look at that moment and go, ah, that's the moment that the Siberian merged with the last Time Lord and created da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and therefore that moment had to be there, or whether we're going to be sitting back here in a few weeks' time and going, yeah, that was weird. Yeah, why did she do that? (laughs) Yeah, so I I suspect, given that we're leading from this straight into the two-part finale and, and and i think others have said on twitter and they're probably right this is kind of like utopia was at the end of series three it's mm. it's kind of part zero of a three-part story given all that there could be that there's there's implications in this that we just don't know about yet mm. or it could be that there are going to be loose ends we don't know speaking of the doctor i guess the big thing to discuss here i mean there's lots of things to discuss but the big thing is that that line about this is not a flat structure this is a mountain i'm at the top things are really changing for this tardis team in a in a hurry dave yeah i really love that line i really loved that moment i did think it went on a little bit too long and it became kind of stephen moffat wanky doctor speech which Mm. was a shame but the start of it was very powerful and again you know we haven't praised Bradley walsh yet and we've gone what 10 minutes so that's a shock (laughs) you know let's, let's let's praise bradley walsh for the way he just, without a word, conveyed this look of, I don't know what you'd call it. It, mm. it was a combination of shock and disappointment, but also he knew that she was inarguably right. Yeah. But here's a thought. She's becoming very separate from the fam. I think we can all agree on that, even our listeners out there listening. that That's what they're trying to show. Yeah. Uh, she is separating from them. But, you know... If one or two or even three of them are leaving in a couple of episodes, how does how does that look? What's the optics of that? For example, is it more wrenching to say goodbye to Yaz if the Doctor's best mates with her versus if Yaz is starting to think the Doctor's a moody cow and she's sick of her bullshit? You know, I'm, I'm just trying to think ahead. If some of these people are leaving in a couple of episodes, is it is it better to be friends? Is that more tragic when they leave or... Do you get what I'm trying to say? Look, I do. And again, I suspect it's going to depend on what the payoff is. Mm. Does it mean there's going to be a point at which the fam has to make a choice and they make, in inverted commas, the wrong choice, or at least one of them does, or 
Or is there going to be a moment where you expect the companions to do what they did at the end of this episode and say, no, Doctor, we're coming with you. We're going to fight the fire with you. And instead they go, you know what? I'm out. I'm not doing this. You don't deserve me. You've been mm. a prick for the last 10 weeks. And no, you're not worth risking my life for. I, I don't know. Yeah, if, if there's that sort of a payoff, I think it could be really, really good. Or maybe Yaz or, or Graham or someone's going to have that Tegan moment and just say, it's not been fun anymore, Doctor, and goodbye. Yeah, because certainly the Doctor isn't going to be this happy-go-lucky children's TV presenter playmate for them. So, yeah, what will they do? It's, it's all in play, and I, I just don't know what a more satisfying end is. <laughs> so it's I'm, I'm intrigued by these next couple of episodes. Yeah, and, and I suspect there is a plan, and that plan's going to matter. Uh, I found the Doctor here to be not too bad, uh, but there were moments of happy-go-lucky children's presenter Doctor coming through, mm. uh, but, but mostly pretty good. Oh yeah, I would say so, and I mean those happy-go-lucky moments were like, oh, the Battle of Waterloo and putting on the helmet, and, and I don't mind that sort of stuff at all, I thought that was fine. Uh, no, I was kind of more referring to just some um, open mouth sort of gasping, sort of tenantish stuff, which, you know, th- this isn't a, a Jodie Whittaker thing. Mm. I didn't like it when Tennant did it, and I don't like when Jodie does it, but again, that's a personal... Uh, personal choice mm. um, Yaz and Ryan yeah well look companion wise Dave let's put aside all that tension building up with the Doctor I think they all had some nice moments essentially paired up with one of Byron's group each yeah they were pretty well written this time again not very consequential but this episode wasn't a consequential episode and I don't mean that in a pejorative way mm-hmm. I, I'm simply saying this is a story that was all about atmosphere and event and you know, going down the stairs and coming back the other way and da-da-da-da. Like, that doesn't add anything to the narrative of the, of the plot, but who cares? It's really cool. Very Castro Valva. <laughs> yeah, very, very much so. Uh, but, but you know, the same with uh, any number of sort of gothic horror classic yeah. Doctor Who shows or movies. You, you, could, you could take 30 minutes out of this plot mm. and it wouldn't change the story at all, but who cares? Because I think we would both agree the strongest part of the episode was just the tension-building, psychological horror stuff going on, which was just really cool and fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, agree with that. Graham, though, to, to talk of Graham, I fear is increasingly being used as comic relief in the series, Dave, which is good and bad. Good because he's good at it, and we've praised mm. it week after week after week, but maybe yep. he's made a rod for his own back here. As now every writer seems to use him just in that way, like, oh, where's, where's the lavatory? You know, oh, I must be up here. You know, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, I like this, but can we do a bit more with him? <laughs> yeah, there has been over the last few episodes what I would consider a bit of sort of Graham box ticking, mm. in that there is a sort of sense of, mm, Graham hasn't had a funny line for a while. Quick, put in a Graham funny line, tick. Graham hasn't had a good emotional speech yet where he can really do a bit of acting. Uh, let's go give him, oh, yep, good tick. Except he didn't get that tick in this episode. Mm. Yeah, he can be so much more. Yaz, I'm, I'm going to put my hand up here, Dave, and say in, in our Spyfall episodes, I was saying I think Yaz has got feelings for Ryan. And here she was talking to Claire Claremont, who's in a similar situation with Lord Byron. And I thought she's talking about Ryan here. She is into Ryan, surely. Uh, I thought that for the first half of her conversation, but then when she started to talk about how it was difficult and complicated and everything, I thought, that's not Ryan, because Ryan's not difficult or complicated. I mean, (laughs) Ryan's made it pretty clear if you say you're up for it, he's up for it. So I didn't think that that matched. Is she in love with the Doctor then? Yeah, that's... 
where I thought maybe it was going, actually, because that would match. Mm-hmm. Or again, maybe there's something completely different that we don't see it. But, uh, you know, it, it reminded me of that moment in Rise of Skywalker. Um, very minor spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen that movie for the next 30 seconds. But the <laughs> moment when they're all going through the, the quicksand. Yeah. And Finn says, there's something I really need to tell you. And all the fans have thought, oh, this is going to be a, I'm in love with this person, I'm in love with that person, or whatever. And we've actually been told by the, the producers that, no, it was, I'm force sensitive. Um, mm. So I think that was a really good example of how I think most of the audience can interpret something one way and actually the writers mean something completely different. Uh, maybe we're getting it right here, but yeah, the way it was done, I just thought this is not one plus one equals two. Mm. Let's crack on with the story. I think Shelley being absent for a, a chunk of this was set up as a really good mystery and then that mystery was revealed and paid off like the ghostly things that had been happening was actually him smashing a vase and they just couldn't see him. I really like the Doctor taking him to his death in his mind. You know, there was so much good stuff about Shelley in this episode. Can we talk about Shelley for a moment, Dave? Did you suspect for a while that he was the Cyberman? I was trying to piece it all together and and that flitted through my mind at one stage, yes. But so many thoughts flitted through my mind. It was a really good mystery. Definitely when the Cyberman started to about Shelley's poetry, I thought, oh, yes, yeah. So that was that was a really good moment. Yeah, absolutely. That added a level of mystery that was very good. Uh, I thought all the guest cast here were good. I thought the guest cast were all incredibly pretty, uh, <laughs> especially for Doctor Who standards. Dare I say? Very um, true. And, and can I just mention a couple of uh, recognised faces there? Um, mm-hmm. Maxim Baldry from Years and Years. Okay. But uh, Jacob Collins Levy must be Australian. Because I recognise him from both Barracuda and Holding the Man. He is half Australian. Ah, okay. Well, he's definitely done some Australian television recently. Yeah, born in Australia, but might have a British dad or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I thought the cast was uh, very good in every every possible way. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to go back to Shelley too, that, that scene where the Doctor took him to his death, it was so subtle. But if you know anything about Shelley and know that he drowned and drowned before he was 30 those scenes of the water were very there's a very subtle way of showing that he was going to drown and and then that got me thinking about the broader story you know because Byron cremates him on a beach in Italy somewhere and all this and I'm thinking oh that's all in the future for these characters I started going off on tangents I was just loving these characters Mm, is that what it was all about yeah when they showed the water because Percy Shelley yeah drowned yeah yeah, no, look, I'm going to sound incredibly ignorant here, but uh, this isn't, to be perfectly honest, my particularly favourite period of either English history or English literature. There are other areas that are much more interesting to me. I mean, I've never really taken the time I should to get to know them. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of Shelley, I'm aware of Byron, and I've read some of their work, but I've never really studied their life. So I've got to admit, that all went completely over my head. And now that you've told me, I'm going, hey, that was really, really clever. Mm. I, I wish I'd known. Um, <laughs> and, and I wonder how many people in the audience fell into your group and how many fell into mine. Yeah, hard to say. But on, on Twitter, I've tweeted uh, a famous painting of the cremation of Shelley 
uh, on a beach and you can see Byron standing there and, and even Mary Shelley's there, but she wasn't actually there in real life and it, it's, it's a wonderful painting. Anyway, I'm getting off track, aren't I? Exposition, uh, I think, was still something of a problem here, although it was delivered in clever ways, like at the dance, each partner was whispering something to their to their respective partner and it was, you know, it was basically an info dump. Uh, yeah, look, I accept that in a show like Doctor Who, particularly one as complicated as this one, you know, exposition isn't verboten. You, you can't have no exposition. Uh, and I thought this one had a much better balance than most of the series. Yeah, yeah. Part of my brain at least was saying this is an info dump that, and it could be dished out piecemeal through normal dialogue and conversation, but it's not. That's fine. I'm going with it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I was relaxed about it on this occasion. Rob, you're usually the one that brings up the music, but I'm going to here because I thought it was astoundingly good. You know, you're absolutely right. I didn't make a note on it, but it was good. Yeah, tick. Uh, and did you get a Buffy the Vampire, particularly Adam vibes from some of this episode? <laughs> yeah, of course, with the with, with his face visible, absolutely. And they, even the line about um being put together from different bits of people and everything, I thought that was a very Adam line but you know it's let's face it it's, it's a they're, they're both Frankenstein references so it's not that they're referencing each other they're both coming from the same place which is fair enough yeah uh, minor criticism mm-hmm. did you think that there was a little bit of um, Amy syndrome going around with the mother sort of forgetting conveniently about her son for about 10 minutes <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Now that you raise that, yes. <laughs> uh, I just thought it was really, really obvious that she really cared about her son. Then the plot said she needed to go over here and do a whole lot of other things. And then just at the right moment, she's like, "Oh, that's right. I've got a son upstairs." Like, no, no mother forgets that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Fair play to you there. Uh, quick shout out to the Silver Turk, which is the big Finnish audio where the Eighth Doctor and Mary Shelley meet some old Cybermen. I still think. We can we can reconcile that episode happening with this uh, current TV episode, Dave, because I think with the the Siberium and and Ashad, or as, as that Cyberman was known, coming back and changing history to some degree, I think Mary Shelley could have adventured with the Eighth Doctor, but now time's been rewritten and she's met the Thirteenth Doctor. So I'm actually cool with both Mary Shelley Cyberman stories. Oh, I'm I'm glad you're happy. I <laughs> I haven't listened to the Silver Turk. It's actually on the list of big finishes that I keep thinking, you know, next time I have a big finish listen, I should probably listen to it. Um, but I haven't yet, so I'm I'm quite relaxed. I, th- I think you'll love it. Yeah, no, it, 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 genuinely, it, it is one of the ones that I've always sort of had on my mental list of big finishes I should check out, and I, I will, I will. Well, very good, Dave. Shall we go to the sports desk? Uh, let's go. Well, Rob, we're back at the sports desk. We're very familiar with how this all works. We'll start off then with our play of the week. What was it for you? Dave, you might think I'm going to say something about the lone Cyberman based on how much I've spoken about in this episode and the fact I love Cyberman. But no, it's it's the way they used Shelley. I was genuinely intrigued as to what he was up to, what was going on, seeing his death. You know, all those scenes involving Shelley, I thought was a fantastic play. Yeah, look, that's very fair. I'm just going to go for a moment, a visual image, a flash, and that is the moment when the lightning struck and the skeleton hand was seen just above the the, the companions. And mm. uh, that gave me a moment of, ooh, ooh that's quite creepy. And yes. that was a really lovely just play that I thought summarised the best of this episode really, really well. 
All right, so we move on to foul. What was your foul, Dave? I've changed my foul during the course of our conversation, Rob. Ooh, interesting, on the fly. And and I'm going to say it is having the need for existing knowledge to have the conclusion land properly in that I think the conclusion would have landed very, very differently had I had your pre-existing knowledge of Byron and Shelley and the like. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to have lovely little... Uh, Easter eggs dotted through the story where somebody who is more familiar with the era or more familiar with the work goes, oh, that was a nice little reference or that was a nice thing. Um, I'm quite disappointed now that really the key understanding of what was going on there uh, didn't land for me at all because I lacked that knowledge. So, Mm. yeah, um, that's my foul. That's really interesting because, yeah, when when Shelley is standing there on the the lake uh, shore looking very haunted, it's because he knows he's going to die before he's 30. (laughs) That's that's the crux of it for me, at least, when I see that scene. So, Rob, I genuinely, and this is my hot take reaction, Mm. I thought that what the Doctor did there was, uh, you know, stop his heart or something and have him go into technical death and then the Siberian came out and she did CPR on him or, you know, a clear, clear sort of mm-hmm. Time Lord trick or something. So, yeah, I, the, the, the ending made perfect sense to me. My headcanon worked, but I completely missed what it actually was. Yeah, yeah, she, she took him to his death so his brain thought he'd really died. Yeah, so, but he had to see it happen. Oh, wow. And your foul. My foul, Dave. This was really hard to pick, as, as you might guess, I really, really like this episode. I almost picked the moment where, you know, so who gave Graham his sandwiches moment, you know, because it was a bit half-assed and trying to be scary and it was just sort of tacked on at the end. But I think I will stick with the cyber design. There's a lot to recommend it. The suit looks largely excellent, but the mask needed some more, you know, subtle touches. And also the stomp, stomp, stomp remained, even though he was presumably walking on carpeted and wooden floors and it was still stomp, stomp, stomp. I, I hate that. Uh, yeah, look, that's that's fair. That's not unreasonable. But look, if that was the worst thing for you on this episode, I totally get that that's actually, a, you know, that's really not that bad. No. <laughs> uh, player of the week, Rob. This was tricky. I almost wanted to give it to the guy who played Byron, as he didn't play him over the top, which I think is something that might be tempting when you're playing Byron. Uh, when he was interested in the Doctor and even being a bit sleazy, it wasn't over the top sleazy. It was quite measured. But you know what? I think I might do something on the fly, Dave, and actually give it to him, uh, to Jacob Collins-Levy, uh, the half-Australian. I, I, Yeah, I'm going with Byron. Full stop. Snap. Hey! <laughs> so you did it on the fly. I had it all written down in front of me. I totally agree. His is a performance that really holds the episode together. It is creepy when it needs to be creepy. It is amusing and witty when it needs to be amusing and witty. He felt like a real person. He interacted very well with Jodie Whittaker. I, yeah, thought it was a really good performance and and the standout of a a pretty good episode, really. Fantastic. So my summary, Dave, I've noted down that I think this made great use of the historical setting, the historical characters. It looked good. The story was plausible. It was interesting. It had a body horror Cyberman going on and it was generally a good watch. I'm throwing nine out of ten at it. It's not an episode I want to rewatch tomorrow, but it is one I know I'll rewatch in the future with great interest, which I can't say for several of the episodes lately. So this was a really, really good episode for me. I'm really pleased that you feel that way, Robin, particularly after last week where you were much more down on the episode than I was. Mm, yeah. I think this is going to be another episode of this series where my view on it in the long term will really depend on 
what the payoffs were for a lot of the setup here or a lot of the things that are either going to be fantastic setup or loose ends. But for now, I thought this was very atmospheric. It was an enjoyable episode. It had some good cast, some great cast, in fact. Uh, I enjoyed watching it, but a number of things that just drew me out of it a little bit, a number of things that didn't quite land for me the way that perhaps they should, which is, I keep saying, it's much my fault as the the production teams, Mm. 7.5 for me. One of the better ones of the series, but we're not into sort of 8 or 9 territory for me. Wow, okay. I I thought it might have got an 8 there from you, Dave. Yeah, look, I gave Spyfall an eight, yeah. and I can't, I can't put this up there with, with, with Spyfall. Interesting. All right. Now, Rob, I'm not going to be here for the next two hot takes, so I'm leaving just as we go into the big two-part <laughs> two finale, which really annoys me. And I, uh, I really hope that I can get eye view of one sort or another in America at some point. Before this episode started, I made a list of arc things that we have not yet had resolved. Mm. Uh, Lone Cyberman, Cyber Wars, Ruth Doctor, Jack potentially coming back, The Timeless Child, The Master potentially coming back, and What Happened to Gallifrey. (laughs) Now, potentially we can tick the Lone Cyberman off that list, although his origins may still be something we're going to learn more about, and the consequences may be something we're going to learn more about, or maybe his story is done. So do you suspect we're going to get a resolution to those six or seven things in the next two weeks, Rob? Or do you think we'll get some, but others are going to seep into Series 13? Oh, look, I think some will seep to Series 13. I think Gallifrey for sure to 13, possibly even The Master. Because yeah. what what we do know about next week, Ascension of the Cybermen, and the episode after is it's Cybermen heavy. In fact, I've got a very quick quote here from Chris Chibnall. He says, It's probably one of the most epic space opera stories we've done. It's a big, big Cybermen story, that last two-parter. So there's confirmation it's a two-parter. There are a lot of Cybermen coming in this series. It might start with one Cybermen, but you'll see a lot. It's as epic and as emotional as the opening two-parter, full stop. Yeah, so look, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't get Jack Gallifrey the Master or the Ruth Doctor back, and that's all going into the next series. But maybe it's going to be a massive episode, and we're getting all of them plus Cybermen. Oh, gosh, that, that just might be too much <laughs> to be put into be. the pudding. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be, but uh, we'll wait to see. So uh, I'm going to be back for the March monthly episode where we will discuss the whole of series 12 holistically and i'll give my views on episodes 9 and 10 then absolutely it'll be interesting not having you here for these last two episodes dave but we have a replacement rest assured folks fantastic look if i do get to watch them before we record i will tweet my uh one sentence review but uh given time zones you know given this is being broadcast in one time zone you're watching it and recording in another time zone, and I'm watching it in a third time zone. I'm not quite sure that the uh, the Time Lord ducks are going to line up for us, but uh, nothing in this season so far has been as bad as the bottom three or four of last year, which is yeah. really, really good. And I am very, very excited to be going into the last two-parter, a lot more than I thought I would be uh, at Christmas. Yeah, look, same here. Absolutely same here, Dave. I think we're going to have a great discussion at the end of March about it all. Well, on that positive note, I will wish you well for the next two episodes. Uh, I will talk to you not that soon, but soon enough. (laughs) Well, safe travels to you, Dave. And until then, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. And we'll see you next time. Well, you will. Bye. (laughs) Bye. 
You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.